Welcome back to What the Fertility Season 3. This morning, we are sitting down with Tori, who has been on a journey to try and conceive with her husband, Ryan, for a little over three years. So um, fun fact, Tori had heard a little bit about endometriosis and um, based off of some of our guest stories, decided to dive a little bit deeper into her own suspicions of endo. So we're very excited to hear um, how her journey has evolved. Welcome, Tori. Hi, thank you guys so much for having me. It's really great to be here. Um, I can just dive in um, if you guys want to. So my husband, Ryan, and I got married in 2019 um, in October, and um, it was right before the pandemic, um, which was so lucky. Our parents wanted us to get married, like to wait an extra year to get married. We were like, no, we're not doing that. And you know, thank God we didn't uh, wait because uh, it would have been crazy. So right after we got married, um, this was a little bit over four years ago, we just started like not not trying. You know, because we're like, oh, it'll if it's going to happen, it'll happen. And we're fine with getting pregnant whenever. Um, and so after like a year or so of that, um, we just weren't pregnant. And it was basically my like biggest fear in life to not be able to have children. Um, I've literally known since I was a like a child, like my earliest memories, like I want to be a mommy, you know? So, um, it was so hard to like figure out, wow, this is not going to be that easy for us. For my parents, they like kind of tripped and got pregnant and I had never been exposed to like any infertility in my family, um, before this. So, you know, we just started kind of exploring, got a recommendation from a um, reproductive endocrinologist from my OBGYN, um, and went through like the initial, you know, workup. This was in 2022. So like in May or June of 2022. So we had basically spent a lot of time deciding if we even wanted to get help, um, which is like a struggle to begin with. Of like saying, ask, oh, wow. Right. Did your, was it difficult for you to get those referrals or you were just like, look, we, cause it was, it had been that recommended year, I guess that they, the old, old news of yeah. So we, um, after we were married, like a year or so I went into my OBGYN and I was like, Hey, you know, when should we start like being concerned about not getting pregnant? We're not actively trying, but like we have not been preventing for a very long time. <laughs> um, and something probably should have happened by now. <laughs> um, and like, I had never had like a pregnancy scare or anything. Um, so she was like, you know what, it has been over a year. And so, you know, we can refer you and, um, we had a really, we have a really great doctor. Um, she's been fantastic. And I struggle like with reproductive endocrinology cause it's like a newer science and it's tough, but a lot of times it just can feel like it's like a crapshoot. Um, especially cause after our initial workup, we were diagnosed with unexplained infertility. Um, which is such a crappy diagnosis, it literally is. the worst. <laughs> yeah. They're like, everything's fine. So we don't really know why you're not getting pregnant. And it gives you that Who little knows? bit of hope, like, oh, okay, maybe I was just being impatient. But then as you continue and that's your diagnosis, you're like, okay, but you can't like pinpoint anything for me. Like why can't yeah. you fix it? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so like, and all of our numbers were like fantastic. My husband's numbers were like through the roof. His urologist was like, you're trying to get pregnant, right? Because if you're not, I'd tell you, you absolutely need to use protection. That's so, oh it's, that's, that's great. Hilarious. 
And then it's also like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, great, this doesn't help me. Right. Yeah, like, um, why is it working then? Yeah, so we decided to start out with IUI. And um, obviously, like, for unexplained infertility, it can be successful because they don't know what's wrong. And so it's kind of low cost. And um, our first IUI ended up getting canceled. Um, I was on Clomid. And my body like totally overreacted to Clomid. I had like six mature follicles. Um, and they're like, no, we can't I was going to ask, do, did they ever give comments like, well, it's because you, like you didn't need the Clomid quote unquote, like your art, your body's already doing everything it should be. Or did they just say some people over produce? They just said some people overreact to it. Um, so we canceled that cycle, um, which was really, um, sad and dramatic and um we kind of went back and forth about it because during IUI they don't like discourage you from trying on your own so we had been trying and um we ended up having to take a I ended up having to take a form of plan b to delay ovulation so that we wouldn't have high risk of a high order um multiple pregnancy and it was so hard for us to make that decision um, I mean, my husband and I are both religious and like to make a decision like that is, it, it was really hard. It was really, really hard and dramatic and emotional. Um, but ultimately like we found a medication that we were comfortable with and that it would help, uh, it would help to delay ovulation, not like actually terminate a pregnancy or anything like that. And so we went through that process and then I left the country for three weeks. Casual. And so, Yeah. I, I, I left and, um, you know, my husband and I are like both just super emotional. Um, so it was really hard to be away from him, like in the wake of all of that. So I came back and we did a second round of IUI. I think it was in like August or September, um, which didn't work. Um, and then we tried another round of IUI. So technically only like two full rounds because the first one was canceled. So then we tried another round of IUI in October of 2022 um all of that happened like around our anniversary and so like you know dates and everything just get your hopes up so much about about different things and then that also didn't work and so we were faced with a decision and the doctors were willing to do another IUI but they're like it's probably not going to be very successful um your chances are really really low and so we ultimately decided that we were going to start IVF. Um, and so we took a couple of, there were a couple of months as it was like getting towards the holidays, you know, labs close over Christmas and all that jazz. So we got everything geared up to go. And I did my first, um, my only round of IVF in January of this year. Um, and I started like, started since like mid January. And then I had my retrieval in like mid February. And we had really great results. Um, I was on very, very low doses of, um, of medication. I was on like Folistim and Menopure and, um, oh my gosh, what Ganarelics. Oh, oh I know. <laughs> it like burned so bad. That's um, like the chunky needle. I always forget. Is that one like with the here? I think the needle is like fatter. Like, is it like, I don't know. A just little like bit. Ones? I think so. It's not, it's not huge, but it is a little bit bigger needle. And um, like there, I don't know what it is about the solution, but it would just like sting so mm. horribly. Oh. Um, 
thankfully I only had to do it for like a few days. I know some people have to do it for a long time. And then I did a Lupron trigger. Um, and I went in for my retrieval. It was like, um, early to mid February and they got 18 eggs. Wow. Um, yeah, 13 of them were mature. Um, we decided to fertilize using ICSI, but we did, um, limited fertilization. So we only fertilized eight eggs and then the other five that were mature were frozen. Oh, um, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. We want it. I was going to say, was that recommended or is that something that you guys chose to request? No, it was not recommended. Um, so going back again to like our sort of how we were feeling about going through this as Christians, right? Um, I think everyone makes their own different decisions morally and draws lines at different areas and everyone just uses their own judgment and there's no like wrong way or right way to do it. But we were really nervous, especially given how I had responded to medication in the past about having way more embryos than we were ever intending to use. Um, and we were totally comfortable with freezing embryos, but we were a little bit uncomfortable with freezing embryos that um more more than we would potentially use so we decided to do a limited fertilization um which ended up working out well for us and then we would have the other eggs frozen to be able to fertilize again later if we wanted to love that option like I'm glad we asked um I was going (laughs) to ask (laughs) you kind of answered it I was going to ask like how difficult and again I, I know you had brought up your you and your husband's faith was that decision moving from IUI to IVF with, you know, that was kind of, it sounds like you guys, it was difficult, but you found ways to make it comfortable for, for you both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was difficult. And I mean, I will say that, so my husband is Catholic. I'm in the process of converting to Catholicism. Um, the Catholic church is 110% against IVF. Um, like 100% against IVF. And we had had a guest on um, that spoke on Indo and same thing. She did the, and now I'm going to butcher it. She did the other method. Oh my goodness. Is it the NAPRO? Yes. NAPRO. Yeah. I listened to that. I listened to that episode. Okay. Sorry to derail. Yeah. So you're converting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like all of this is happening and um, ultimately we decided, you know what, we're going to make decisions based on like what we think is right and try to always keep our faith as upfront as possible. Um, and I think we also believe that like God created all of this amazing science. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, it, we need to use it with like a moral, like morally forward. Right. But that doesn't mean that it's inherently bad. Um, so, but it was hard. And I don't know if you guys experienced this. I get a feeling you guys are Christian. Um, but I don't know if you guys experienced this amongst amongst Christian communities, but there's been a lot of like negativity, um, of like just judgment and like how we have decided to pursue like having a family and, um, folks were like, well, why don't you just adopt? I'm like, okay, well, yeah, that's not off the table for us, but why is that the only answer? And there's, yeah. yeah, there's, I was going to let Amanda answer that. <laughs> no, you're good. I honestly, thankfully, we didn't get that kind of response um, in mm. like our Christian community, but I have seen it and heard so many people say that. And especially like they're, the first thing is people usually always are like, oh, we'll just adopt. Yeah. Like, there's and other like, options, which adoption is amazing, 
but absolutely totally do other ways too and every family is so right and there's a lot of pain that comes along with adoption as well that I feel like sometimes the the Christian Catholic community leaves out uh yeah and it's such a like it is such a commitment and obligation to pursue adoption and I think it's amazing the people who do it but like you have to want to do it like you you have to really feel it deeply um so so we we struggled but like we just sort of like identified and here at at different sequences in the process where we were going to draw lines um another area where we drew lines is on genetic testing um I had so much back and forth with our doctor like trying to really drill down like what is in PGT testing um to figure out if we were comfortable doing it or not and ultimately and you guys probably know this um when you get an embryo that has some sort of abnormality one you don't always find out what that abnormality is and two if like it's an abnormality like down syndrome or something that the um, clinic won't transfer it and so then you are stuck in this like moral decision of what do you do with this embryo I think that's so um, brought that up because I don't think the general public understands that. Yeah. So these are all things that we in our own personal journey, right, struggled with. And again, I don't I think that there's no right or wrong way to do any of this. It's just how, you know, we decided to. Um, so we didn't do any genetic testing. Um, we did limited fertilization. Um, so we ex- we fertilized eight of our mature eggs um, through ICSI, seven of them fertilized. Oh, wow. And your husband's sperm, right? All oh, right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Not even just, it didn't even have to like do it on its own too. Cause they just, they're like, Oh, which of these wonderful swimmers do we want to pick? Right. Um, so we got four blasts, um, out of that, that round. Um, they were, I don't know how much you guys have dug into like grading, but like two of them were basically like the highest graded, um, like a 5AA and a 4AA. And then we had two that were uh, slightly lower. It was like, um, they were both day six embryos and they were like 5AB and 4AB or something like that. Um, But all like really, really highly graded embryos. So we were just over the moon about that. We were so happy. We found out on Valentine's day um, that, uh, you know, that we had four babies and we were like, in shock, right? Because you don't expect to have a fifty percent blast rate, right? Um, explain infertility. Did you did that give you at that time like, oh, well, something's right, and something yeah, working. something's working. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we were like, okay, something is working, and you know, in all of my workup and everything, I had a slightly abnormal HSG, and for anyone listening to this who is going through your initial workup. Um, My HSG, one, it was slightly abnormal. It took a little, basically the way that the dye was pooling was like symmetrical behind my ovaries. And so it was weird because it wasn't like spilling out, Um, but it, it was moving through everything and like the fallopian tubes are fine and all of that. But the thing that I think now looking back, I should have questioned was that to me, the HSG felt like being power washed. It was so incredibly painful. Um, Probably one of the most painful procedures I've had done aside from an endometrial biopsy throughout this entire experience. 
I love that, um, that up because mine, yeah. like I didn't even, it was like five minutes, didn't even think about it. But I, when we've had guests on, they've been like, that was the worst pain of my life. Very interesting. Cause I'm sure you'll go further with that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I'll come back to that once we get to kind of where we are now. Um, so we did our first embryo transfer in March. It was like, I think it was March 1st of this year. Um, and everything went amazing. Like the doctor was like, this is a textbook embryo transfer. Everything was perfect. You know, I was poopo, like life was good. Um, I turned 30 two days after our pregnancy test. Um, so on March 10th, we found out we were pregnant. Um, and it was like the most amazing experience of my life. Um, it was so amazing. And then like a couple days later, it's my birthday and like, oh my gosh, best birthday in the history of the world. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah. And it was like a couple of weeks of like pure bliss. Um, it was just really a beautiful, beautiful time. Um, and then at five weeks, one day I started having some spotting, um, and I freaked out and I called my doctor and they're like, don't worry if it like happens again, like we'll bring you in. So two days later it happened again. Um, and we went in for an ultrasound and there was a gestational sac and there was, um, what's the name of the other sac? I can't remember. Um, oh gosh. <laughs> the gestational sac, the fetal, the yolk, the sac. yolk sac. There you go. Yes. Oh, yeah. Wow. So both <laughs> sacs were, both sacs were there. Um, but I did have a subchorionic hemorrhage. Um, and that subchorionic hemorrhage was sort of like blocking the view of the baby. And so it looked like they were measuring a little bit behind, but the doctor was like, I can't really get a clear view. So, you know, well, we have to wait. And, and for uh, listeners, the subchorionic hemorrhage is typically why you do bleed early on in your first trimester. And it's super common. I've had one in almost all I my had one too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're super common. So like, you know, I'm texting like all of my friends, like, have you ever had this? And uh, you know, the doctor's like, it's really, really common. And I couldn't imagine going through that through an entire pregnancy. I have a friend who like bled through her entire pregnancy and I probably would like lose my mind. Me too. Me too. <laughs> um, yeah. And so we waited and we had another appointment scheduled to do the heartbeat scan at six weeks, four days, and we didn't make it there. Um, so thank you. It's I'm in a much better place with it now, but it's been a really hard, um, it's been a really, really hard year. And we just passed, um, that baby's due date was November 19th. So, um, we literally just passed that and, uh, it was a better day than I had anticipated. Um, just cause we had been really intentional about wanting to try to like honor their life and be like grateful for them. Cause it really did bring us so much joy and hope. Um, after you know we had been married for like three years at that time it was my first pregnancy ever so like I was in denial that I would even ever be able to get pregnant um so we went through that we went through the miscarriage at home um it was so horrible um and in the moment you just don't really know what's happening um and I like called I called the doctor at like three o'clock in the morning and you know, it was like walking him through what was going on because I was like trying to like muscle through it. Um, and I didn't really had no idea 
what was going on. Honestly, the the episode you guys did with Bailey Henry was amazing. Um, I can't remember that I one. Wish- like it, yeah. I the details of that story. Yeah. And had you listened to that prior to your experience or maybe after? I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, it might've been afterwards. And I was like, wow, these are all the things I wish I would have known. Right. Um, It's so fresh. I like for listeners, just a reminder, you started this in early 2023, but we're still, this happened to you just a a couple handful of months ago. Um, Yeah. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been a rough year. Um, and it gets rougher. Uh, unfortunately. Um, so you know, we got we got through that. Thankfully, in like October, November of 2022, I started seeing a counselor, um, which I would just recommend doing that to anyone. Um, my husband comes with me sometimes. Now they also have like a group of women who like are through the same counseling organization who are all going through infertility at like different stages. And that was one of the best decisions pre IVF that I made. Cause I knew that like the mental game was like a huge part of the battle. Um, <clears throat> and the counselor I'm seeing is a biblical counselor too, who had experienced four miscarriages herself. Wow. Um, so it was, and I didn't know that when I started seeing her, it was just like incredibly serendipitous. Um, so she was really essential in helping us um, process and and keep moving through the grief and dealing with it. And she was able to speak from it, you know, from like a real empathy perspective. And um, that has just been like invaluable. Um, so after a couple of months, you know, we were still like really optimistic um, you know, we're like, okay, we can get pregnant. Like that's a huge, it's not all bad news, right? There is like, there is a silver lining here. And so in June of this year, we decided to do a second transfer. Um, and we were super op- optimistic about it and it was unsuccessful. Um, which was really hard because we're like, what the heck? And of course, you know, the first, the first time the doctor is like, with the miscarriage, like, oh, well, the most likely scenario is they were genetically abnormal because we didn't test. And I'm like, okay, statistically, like one in three untested embryos are genetically abnormal. So, okay, fine. Um, so then the second time happens and they're like, oh yeah, the most likely scenario is it's genetically abnormal. I'm like, how could 50% of my embryos be genetically abnormal? I feel like they say that all the time. My genetically tested embryo, they said it was probably genetically abnormal. I swear I get that for all my losses. Same thing. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, how about you just say, we don't know. And we're sorry. Yeah. Better answer. hundred percent. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, um, yeah, it's rough. So after that, we were like, you know what, we are not doing this again. I don't know what it was, but like the moment the doctor called with the blood test results, <clears throat> my husband and I looked at each other and we're like, we have to pause. Um, there was just something in us that was like, we need to make decisions that are ensuring that we're giving these last two embryos at this time that we had their very best chance at life. Mm-hmm. And we we're still unexplained. We still had no answers. I had talked to our doctor like several times saying, Hey, do you think I could have endometriosis? Like, what do you think could be wrong? I had pressed her to like, after this second transfer failed, I was like, I want to do recurrent loss protocol. 
Um, and by this time I have been listening to so many of your guys' podcasts and like trying to like figure out what are the most likely explanations for unexplained infertility. And it turns out that actually 30% of those are endometriosis, which yeah. is insane to me. And so finally, yeah, it's so crazy. And the fact that like the doctors don't acknowledge that when you initially get unexplained infertility as a diagnosis, yep. like rewind it all back a year yeah. before. Always pushed to the back burner. Always. Yeah. A year before, the moment that we were diagnosed with unexplained infertility, in my mind, we should have sought further testing. Mm -hmm. And that should be the protocol, right? The protocol shouldn't be, oh, try IUI. So I don't know how much you guys know this, but actually previously in reproductive endocrinology, it used to be a default setting to do a laparoscopy, to do an exploratory laparoscopy. And that surgery was much more invasive than they can even do it now. Yeah, I was, exactly. I was you, I was up at three, four in the morning because my diagnosis is unexplained and I'm like reading articles on articles about it. It's just crazy. I have read so many medical studies about endometriosis. <laughs> I too. can't even tell you. I mean, I um, could still have it. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, me too. No idea. We never got so... it tested. Yeah. So ultimately, um, I decided I went back to my OBGYN and I said, listen, I need to take a pause with reproductive endocrinology for a minute. And I need to just go back to like my female health. Um, what types of things can you guys do to do some checking? So they checked for like prediabetes, they checked for, um, uh, blood clotting disorders, the phospholipid syndrome and that sort of stuff. Um, and a couple of other things. She actually even did like a check for like a yeast infection, just in case, um, just sort of like things like that. And she also referred me to an endometriosis surgeon for a consult. And, um, you know, at this point we had been having infertility for like three years. So like there had to have been something else. So that in and of it, like infertility in and of itself, should open the door to like, okay, maybe endometriosis. But if you backtrack into my life, I've actually had very painful periods for my entire life. Um, so much so that when I was 16, I went on birth control because my periods were so painful that I like passed out. I was going to say, can and... you explain like what that pain feels like? Cause I, yeah, like it was just, obviously you passed out. So it was every time you would get your cycle, you would just be in like excruciating pain. Is that what you experienced? Yeah. So I would have really, really horrible abdominal pain and also back pain. And it would, if I was ever behind it, it would get to the point where I almost couldn't get my muscles to like calm down, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you would take like take Advil or Midol, and then I would like lay on a heating pad um, or I'd take like a really, really hot bath, like so hot that it almost like burns your feet when you get in because something about that would like distract the body from the pain of menstrual cramps. And so I had been on birth control from when I was 16 to about when I was like 23. Um, and I finally went off of it because I birth control comes with like all kinds of other weird symptoms and you just like really don't feel like yourself. Um, and it's rough. And so I went off of it before I even got married. Um, and so that paired with infertility then should be like, ding, 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 yeah. endometriosis. <laughs> um, 
And the fact that like growing up doctors like OBGYNs or family doctors weren't like red flagging that painful of a period, you know, that's a problem in and of itself. Right. And my hope is that for like our daughters, that won't happen. Um, um, and that we'll be able to like intervene earlier and like figure these things out. Because even if I had been told, hey, you might have endometriosis. So when you start thinking about having children, you should get that checked before you start trying. A hundred percent. Because I know they say they don't want to do exploratory surgery and that kind of stuff when it's not necessary. But in your experience, potentially my experience, potentially Amanda's experience, like you're doing an egg retrieval. That's just as invasive. <laughs> exactly. as this, you know, it's like more. Right. Yeah. Well, with everything I don't know if it's more. Up, I don't know. Well, with everything that leads up to it yeah. and just the yeah. specific, like the details of it. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Yeah. Have an exploratory laparoscopy. It could potentially have changed the whole like trajectory of your story. Oh, you know, every, you literally everything. Yeah. Yes. Literally it could have changed everything. Um, and so we went to that, um, went to that consult, uh, with the end endometriosis surgeon. And he was like, yeah, you could very well have endometriosis. And finally, for like the first time, it was like, oh my God, I'm not crazy. Somebody actually thinks this is a problem. Um, And so I scheduled my surgery. Um, My brother got married the first weekend in August and I scheduled my surgery for like three days after that. And so I drove to Michigan, drove back, and um, went and had my laparoscopy and um, the actual surgery itself, I'm like in triage prepped and his previous surgery, I guess, is like a really complicated case and got went really long. And so my surgery was delayed by like two or three hours. Not to make you nervous or anything. <laughs> and so I was like just sitting there knitting in a triage bed with my husband sitting next to me, not eating, not having any water, not having had any water in like so many hours. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm just like, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. Yeah. And um, so we went back and had the surgery and come to find out I had stage three endometriosis. Wow. Um, and I had insisted that they do two other things during my surgery. So they checked for endometriosis, which obviously they do laparoscopy, laparoscopy, you're right. Oh, laparoscopy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. New through laparoscopy. Laparoscopy. Something like that. Anyways, so um, you have like three incisions and then they put the camera in through your belly button. Um, so while they were there, I had them check for two more things. I had them do basically an HSG again. So to do the dye through my fallopian tubes, just to be extra sure that they were totally fine. Um, because I hadn't had an HSG at that point in like a year. And then two, I had them test for endometritis. So endometriosis, of course, is the existence of endometrial tissue outside of the endometrium. Whereas endometritis is the inflammation of that tissue in your uterus. And I think it's one thing that people don't really talk about or know about, um, but you don't have to have a laparoscopy to get tested for endometritis. Um, right. I had, yes. Endometrial biopsy, which you said earlier was, uh, right next to your painful HSD. Now that thing that was top of the list pain for, but it was worth it, but top of the list pain for anything I've ever had done, including. Yeah. <laughs> it was incredibly painful because you don't go under for it. Thankfully the first one I was under anesthesia for it. 
Um, but yeah, you get prescribed Valium and get told to take Motrin 800. And you're basically just too loopy to care about how much pain you're in. I didn't get that Valium. So maybe do (laughs) that. No, you did it without Valium. Yeah, they didn't oh my gosh, I'm sorry. And it took him like an hour because he couldn't get it. But anyways, <gasps> side note. <laughs> oh yeah, my God. so, okay. So you had the endometriitis tested as well, which you've explained is the inflammation of the endometrium, which can cause reoccurrent loss, right? Or just can cause- It can cause reoccurrent loss. It can, call, it can cause um, implantation failure, which is basically now what we were experiencing, right? Mm-hmm. And it can also cause miscarriage. So basically endometritis all but makes your uterus like inhospitable to life, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, and so, and there's a lot of different ways you can get endometritis. There's a lot of different types of endometritis, but for the purpose of generally, when you have a, like a complicated case, it's considered chronic endometritis. And so they don't really know what causes it. It can be like having strep at some point in time in your life or like really odd things. Um, sometimes it can be caused by an STD, but as you guys know, we get tested for that so much at my right. clinic is every six months right. that I have to get a full panel, which sucks a lot. for me and my husband. Right. And, um, so we knew it wasn't that in my case. Right. And so, okay. I have endometriosis. I have endometritis. And so after surgery, I'm like recovering from surgery And finding out about the endometritis was actually a really big relief too, because it, it just was more answers. And so after surgery, I went on a two week, um, cycle of doxycycline, um, which is a really, really strong antibiotic that has really yucky gastrointestinal side effects. Um, it's the antibiotic they use to prevent malaria, um, so it's I didn't know brilliant. that, but I went on it too, because sometimes they just will give it to women like me that have had at like five miscarriages. And they're like, well, you could have inflammation. Why don't you go ahead and take this? Which is awful. Yeah. 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 Doxycycline is like no joke. Yeah. Um, I literally couldn't have a drop of milk for two weeks. And um, so after the doxycycline, the surgeon doesn't recommend typically doing a repeat biopsy, but my clinic does, especially in the case of an embryo transfer, right? They want to like certify and verify that like everything is copacetic. So, um, I had another endometrial biopsy in September, I think. Um, and that came back in a weird, like there were still some cells left, but it looked like it was a curing case. And so Basically, clinically, the decision could have gone either way. It could be like, it's a curing case and it's going away, or hey, it's still around and we need to treat it again. And so the doctor said that we could either do another repeat biopsy, or we could assume that it's a curing case and so all is well. There was clinical evidence for both. Um, She would not prescribe a new round of antibiotics for me without doing another biopsy, which I thought was really stupid. Um, well, it's funny because that's what I would, have, that's my immediate thought was, well, can I just do one more round of this yeah. and then I'll feel like we're good. If we knocked yeah, it all exactly. Yeah. 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 That was my thought too. But so we ultimately decided to go with the recommendation that it was a curing case. And so we decided to move forward with another embryo transfer, which we did in October. Um, 
September. I, I just October. looked at my phone. I was like, what month are we in? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like late September into early October. Um, and again, we had another failed transfer. So that's, that's now so three of our four embryos gone. Um, yeah. So after that, I told my husband, I was like, I need to stop. I need a break. I can't keep doing this. I don't know what to do. Well, and now you're almost four years in from your initial desire to or, try yeah. to have a baby, right? Yeah. And a year and a half into treatment. Um, and we had basically had three losses in one year. And there, it, having a failed embryo transfer is not the same as a, as a miscarriage. Um, it's tough, tough. Cause you're grieving yeah. the, the loss of potential life. Yeah, exactly. Um, especially when you like get to see it happen before your eyes, like it's just, it's such a like miraculous thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, I was just like mental health had to take a front seat to everything else. Yeah. And so we had another endometrial biopsy done, um, in October and there was still endometritis left. Oh, my and goodness. so, you know, so persistent. Oh. And, um, so I went on another round of antibiotics that like paired two different antibiotics. And I don't remember the name of them off the top of my head. There's, if you go into the literature, there's a ton of different recommendations for like second rounds, but basically doxycycline has like an 85% cure rate for endometritis. And this new round of like two antibiotics that I went on has a 99.1% cure rate for endometritis. Um, so I finished that a couple of weeks ago and, um, I finished it like in my luteal phase. So it's like kind of hard to do, um, an endometrial biopsy and have it be super accurate. And so we're basically waiting until the next cycle, um, to potentially do another biopsy unless I end up pregnant, which would be amazing. Fingers crossed. Um, (laughs) We're like always hoping for it, you know? Yeah. And, um, so yeah, that's sort of where we're at with my like current um, you know, where we're at currently is, do you, we don't really know what comes next. I was going to say, do you feel like your diagnosis with endo, did you have that removed during the, Mm -hmm. okay. Do you feel that that gives you more hope moving forward? Like maybe next year when you have the energy and just the right headspace that it could be different outcomes or. I think for me, because we still don't know about the endometritis, that's like the biggest current barrier. So I did have basically all of my endometriosis removed, um, especially that that would affect infertility. There was some in some places that um, wasn't really an infertility factor. Um, and so they left it because it would have done like more harm and there would have been, had to have been other surgery done. Right. And um, so that is a huge relief, but there's also this kind of like ticking clock too with endometriosis because it will come back. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a guarantee that it will come back. And now it's been five months since my surgery, just about, and I'm still not pregnant. Pregnancy is one of the ways to tamp down endometriosis. Um, you know, the other option is to go on a hormonal birth control. Um, and that will basically have to be a decision that I make for the rest of my like child rearing years until I hit menopause will be managing this disease. Um, So usually they recommend for folks who have, and every doctor is different, but our doctor recommended that with 
my endometriosis to not go more than like four to six months um, without being on some sort of suppression or like post-surgery, right? Um, and so that later on in life, if we ever decide to try naturally, that we should really only try for like four months versus the normal couple would be to try for a year uh, before seeking any sort of assistance, just because of that being an opening window for the endometriosis to come back. Otherwise, then you have to have surgery again. Um, Right? Yeah. And like another thing. Yeah, that's like almost, it is a relief, but then you're like, okay, now I have a secondary time clock that's running in my, oh, wow. Yeah. And now I have this other thing I have to manage. And you know what would fix it is if I could just get freaking pregnant. <laughs> I know, I know. It's so frustrating. I'm sure. You know, oh. um, it's like, it's, it's, it is frustrating, but, um, you know, I think everyone probably feels this way going through infertility that every month you feel like your life is slipping by and that time is slipping by. And especially if it's not being utilized for something having to do with infertility, then it's like a waste, like, oh, we just wasted that month and I will say that like of all of all that we have done and at this point like post-surgery having really good counseling um I feel like I don't feel that pressure as much I don't feel that anxiety as much um and I feel a little bit more peace than maybe I did a year ago beautiful that's beautiful because I think I can relate to everything you just said yeah but it took time a lot of time (laughs) I'm sure counseling probably has helped. Oh, I mean, so much. I literally cannot encourage people enough to like, whether it's finding an infertility specialist, specializing therapist, whether it's finding a counselor who is of your faith or whatever, um, whatever is going to help you it, do it. Absolutely do it. Um, it's not cheap, but it has been some of the best money that we have spent because the mental battle is hard. It's really, really hard. Well, I, I mean, I've, su- I've enjoyed listening to your story. I'm so hopeful for you and Ryan's future. I think my biggest takeaway was really um, how you shared you had created some limits on IVF and where you guys felt comfortable as a family. That was, that's a learning experience for me. And sounds like other listeners can maybe think, oh, I didn't know that that was an option. If there was one thing you could share with listeners, either a takeaway from what you shared with us today, um, what would that be? Oh gosh. Um, that's a really hard question. I think probably that like, you can, you can do it. You can do it. It is so incredibly hard, but just don't, don't give up. And like stopping IVF is not giving up, but don't, let the fear and the anxiety and the stress and the emotional nature of all of this, like break you down or like wreck you. Um, I feel like recently I've finally started to feel like myself again, and I haven't seen me in a really long time. And, um, it's really nice to see Tori again. Um, and so just don't, don't give up on continuing to be you and continuing to fight and continuing to press for answers because they, they can be there. I love that so much. I think listeners will appreciate everything you've shared and everything you've talked about. And we are so hopeful for you guys and definitely praying for you guys as you 
enter in this next journey and hopefully with your another transfer. And I just, we really hope for success for you. So thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it.